Welcome everybody to the Life Plus God podcast. My name is Alyssa Robinson. I am your host. We are asking one of the biggest questions that a lot of parents out there have. How do I deal with my teenager? Yay. (laughs) And so I have a nice little panel of people here with us tonight. So first of all, I have Steve Garrison, our director of youth ministry, and he knows a thing or two about teenagers because he's chosen to uh, minister to them for his vocation. So yeah, yeah, you're going to be our expert. And then we have, yeah. And then we have uh, the Headings. So we have Christina and her husband, Matt Heading, and their daughter, Lindley, who is a teenager. (laughs) And we're so excited that you're here with us tonight. It's very brave of you to be here. Um, But so I guess what qualifies you to be a part of this conversation is you've survived one teenager already and that you're in the midst of another one right now. Yes, yes. And the... Having survived one, totally helped prepare for the second. Lindley, I want to I want to hear from you. What is it like in 2023 to be a teenager? Well, I think it's fun. Like I love being a teenager, and it's just kind of like you only get to be a teenager for so short in your life, and so I just kind of want to live it out to the fullest. I definitely do talk back here and there, but for me, it's just like building my own opinions and like learning how to be independent and stuff. Um, but I can definitely see whenever I do get to start to get a little bit of an attitude towards my mom and my dad. <laughs> well, and that, I think that that's something that I have noticed in people in their teens today is just the way that you are, there's more self-awareness it seems yeah. with your generation than there has been previously. And for you to say, you know what, I'm finding my voice. I'm finding my confidence. That's so true. Like that <laughs> is what you're experiencing. And you will continue to experience that through your twenties. And it's a really fun time of growth. And I, I just, I do love like the uh, self evaluation and understanding that the current generation are are you Gen Z or is I'm it? I'm Gen Z. Okay, yes. okay. Because I don't know, like, at what point is Gen Alpha going yeah. into the teen years? But um, so keeping in that uh, teenage mindset, we all talked back to our parents a little bit. Maybe we were a little bit rebellious, except for Steve. <laughs> was the I was an angel. Dream child. I was the opposite of Steve. Yeah. <laughs> What what was your faith journey like at that time? So I grew up going to church with my grandparents, with my aunts and uncles. I was always kind of seeking Christ. Um, in high school specifically, like in eighth grade, I went to Sky Ranch and uh, just for one year um, where you know, they ask us to accept Jesus into our heart. And I'm not even really sure at the time that I knew what I was doing because I wasn't going to church on a consistent basis or at a consistent church, really, for that matter. And so in high school, I just sought out friends who were going to church and youth activities with them, but again, not on a consistent basis. Probably the only thing that I did consistently was I did attend FCA meetings through my high school and they were at the church that was right next door. And that's just kind of what continued on. It's part of my faith story is me always seeking Christ, but never really knowing him until I was in my twenties. For me, I, I actually 
grew up in a church, a uh, very charismatic church, was baptized at a, a young age, um, was in FCA like Christina was. But I started rebelling because I think as a teenager, I saw how hypocritical a lot of people that went to church were. And you have to remember at that time, there were a lot of televangelists on TV that were like promoting all of all of this stuff on, on the front, but then doing all these bad things and getting busted for it. So, well, in the 80s and 90s was when the mega churches the, were on the rise yes. for yeah. the first time. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And so I actually, I kind of turned away from going to church, not necessarily believing in God, but turned away from going to church. I just kind of got a, not when I was still in high school, but when I got to college, I was, I was only 17 actually when I left for college. So I was still a teenager for a couple of years in college. And once I got out of my own, I, I kind of stopped going to church. Fortunately, I had some friends in college that still went to church. One was Methodist. And whenever we went home, I would go with his parents, First United down in downtown Dallas, actually. Mm-hmm. And um, I think the thing that, that strikes me is like the, the verse in the Bible that says, if you give that kids the foundation, they'll come back. And that's what happened to me is I had that foundation. I knew what it was. And then when I was old enough to discern that Christianity isn't the bad thing, it's sometimes it's the people that are make mistakes, right? And so then that's when I, I was able to, to refine my, my love for going to church. And here we are today. Mm. Yeah, I was never a member of a church until I joined Treach. Yeah. Oh, wow. When I was 30 and I was baptized went the same day that my Alyssa was baptized when she was nine months old. Oh, wow. wow. That's a really cool memory to have. Ugh. That's and if really- you're listening and if you know me, shocking, Christina has tears in her eyes. So there we go. <laughs> Just thinking Aww. about it. Yeah. That's really sweet. Man, when I was in high school, middle school and high school, I, I mean, my mom worked here. I was the ultimate church kid. However, uh, it, it was just where all my friends were. And so I don't think that I was like actively seeking a relationship with God. I definitely knew how to go through the motions. I knew all of the things that I was supposed to say and uh, how I was supposed to respond to things and how to give the right answer and Sunday school and and all that stuff. But um, same, it wasn't until for me, it wasn't until after college, because I kind of did the same thing in college. I was at like the president of the Wesley Foundation, all this stuff. But it was just where I met people, where I found friends. And it was more of like a click to get involved in than it was an opportunity to grow in my spirituality. And um, so I think I didn't actually start exploring my own faith until I was like 25 or 26. Mm. Um, and trying to figure out what do I believe? What do I want to hold on from those foundations of growing up versus like, what am I willing to let go of and say, "Mm, you know what, this doesn't really fit. Um, I don't think I believe this. So yeah, I, when I look back on my middle school and high school years, and especially when I think about going through confirmation, I'm like, man, all these volunteers time was just wasted on me <laughs> because I, I was there for the food and the chit chat, you yeah. know, and nothing else and the yeah. games and the fun and all of that, which obviously it wasn't wasted. But um, I look back on it. I'm like, yeah, I can't think of a single thing that I learned in the youth group. I'm sure that's really reassuring to you, Steve. No, no, I, I think that's uh, I think that's a, a lot of testimonies. A lot of teenagers. I mean, because I, I, my journey, I think, is about the same. I was a very consistent churchgoer as a 
elementary, middle school, and high schooler. But I don't think I really started getting into my faith in probably until my junior, senior year in high school. And then it wasn't really until after uh, I graduated, until I became a young adult, that I really started getting my own faith. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's a pretty true story for a lot of teenagers. And Matt kind of testified too. Is youth ministry is more about building that foundation of like this is this is what faith can be. This is what a community can be. Um, and I, I think just our brains, I think just develop. It just takes a while for yeah. them to build their own faith. So well, and there's also nothing wrong. Like yes, we want you know, youth to spiritually grow, but there's also nothing wrong with just like creating a safe space for teenagers to be. And if they don't learn anything and all they feel is a safety and a place where they're loved and cared for, man, like you've done your job. Absolutely. Yeah. Lindley, you've been kind of nodding your head over there. Uh, Do you have some (laughs) thoughts to add in? It's just like, they're definitely still teenagers who just go to youth for the social aspect and for me like I love the social aspect of youth but I also like continue to build my relationship with Jesus Christ every single day and like not only on Sundays but like throughout my daily life and just like everything that I go through every single day so do you think Mm -hmm. that that's out of the ordinary yes okay so what what has gotten you to this point? Like what, as a, a teen, how old are you? I'm 14. 14. Okay. So as a 14 year old, you're saying, I want to seek a relationship with Jesus Christ. We know that that's not within the ordinary for, mm-hmm. uh, we've all kind of testified to that of like, yeah, it wasn't really the goal of going to church necessarily. Why, what draws you in? Well, my parents and my sister just like, they've really just shown me how to live through Christ and like in everyday life and my sister especially whenever I was younger because we're like six seven years apart so whenever we were younger she would always just be like what questions do you have about God like Mm. what do you want to know and so she always like um sparked my curiosity about Christ and so I think it can she continues to like make me more curious about learning about him every single day. Mm. Did you kind of like look up to her as, yeah, I imagine that six, seven year age difference. It's like when you were five years old, you probably looked at her like (laughs) the sun just shines out of you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. My sister and I were two years apart. So we were more like cohorts than we were like uh, mentoring each other. But that's really cool that she, she led you into that. And, uh, do y'all continue to have conversations about faith? Every once in a while, we don't see each other too often just cause she's at college and stuff. But I mean, sometimes I'll text her stuff about like that. And she always asks me about youth group and stuff like that. So it's mm. just nice to have conversations about it with her. Mm. All right. This, this next question that I have, um, We'll see where it goes, but before you had kids, I know I have, and all of this parenting stuff, all of this parenting stuff that I talk about, I'm, I really have no idea. Cause as I've said, I'm not a parent, but I imagine that when you are pregnant, when you have your babies and all, all these things, you're just constantly dreaming about what the future is going to look like for these kids. What did you imagine it would be like to be a parent of teenagers? And is it like that? <laughs> yeah, honestly, I, I could say like I had zero clue. And I don't even know if this book exists anymore. But when 
I was pregnant, there was a book called What to Expect When You're Expecting. (laughs) And I read it literally, I think, more than the Bible (laughs) in those nine months before I had Alyssa. And I always said they need books that take you further, which obviously they do have them. But I was saying, joking always, what to expect when they're a toddler, what to expect when they go to elementary school, what to expect when they're a teenager. But obviously there are parenting books. And so... I didn't know what it was going to be like to have a teenager. So I relied heavily on um, other people who had older kids that I just would talk to like once they were little and I guess maybe observation. And so um, I didn't know what to expect. I, like I said, unlike Matt, I felt like I was a pretty good kid. And so I hoped that they would be like me. He's actually really, he was not bad. His mom would say he was a good boy. Um, he may have done some bad things, but he was a good boy. So I didn't know, like, I didn't know what to expect. So it was all new to me. So, yeah. I'm a little different because I was actually 11 when my sister was born and then was 21 when my father passed away and moved home during college to kind of be there and help with my sister. Um, during her teenage years. So Mm -hmm. I kind of got to see that a little bit. I think that's why I waited so long in life that I was over 30 when we had our, our first child. And because I knew that I knew how much work children were. Mm. Um, And so I kind of just kind of selfishly didn't want to have kids until I met Christina and, and then, then I knew it was right. But um, yeah, I I knew that, that it was a lot of work. Yeah, I have um, my cousin has five kids and they're all varying age. So the oldest, I think that that's really common when you have like a big family or if there's a tragedy in the family and your kids are raising kids sort of thing. But my uh, the oldest of my cousin's family is like, no, I never want to have kids. I've already done that. (laughs) Like I've already raised four brothers and sisters, (laughs) you know, and not a discredit to my cousin because she was an excellent mother. And, but there is like this responsibility as the oldest sibling of like, you're kind of taking on some of the parenting responsibilities with that. So I get that. And, um, waiting until you're over 30, isn't that old actually, (laughs) 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 but yeah, thanks for sharing. And Steve, I don't think I mentioned you've got a teenager too, don't you? I do. Or like, yeah. How old is he? He's 15. 15. Okay. We see, we didn't even bring that into the mix <laughs> no. that you're a youth director and you have your own teenager. So is it everything you hoped it would be? Yeah, actually, I think it's it's working He's out pretty like well. He's just like a little mini Steve and, he, and yeah, I causes would... no problems. <laughs> yeah, he he pretty much has my, so far, he has my my teenage personality uh i think he's a little bit more he has a little bit more of an attitude and more of a rebellion than i did but um i mean i saw the extreme with my brothers and so he's uh doing really well and <laughs> so i had that was kind of my expe- expectation is like i knew what the worst could be but i also knew what the best could be so mm-hmm. i think i've set up pretty well so when did your kids start acting like teenagers? Like what was that age and what did you start noticing that you're like, Oh no, this isn't my sweet little <laughs> angel anymore. Yeah. yeah. Um, and Steve probably has a different experience. I mean, I have 
both girls. And so for me, it was definitely 12, 13 years old. I had friends and they would be like, oh, my kid is so their attitude is so terrible towards me and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, Alyssa would never act that way. She's so sweet. And, and she would just never do that. And then like, you know, six months later, she's 12 and a half, 13 years old. And I was like, oh, wait, she's changing. So I 100% expected it with Lindley. I knew it was coming. So it wasn't, didn't blindside me like it did with Alyssa because she was this person one month. And then a few months later, started all the typical teenage things. And when I say typical, both my girls are really very sweet girls, but they definitely had the attitude. And it was mm-hmm. interesting for me when it happened with Lindley because the first time Alyssa was around her, she was like, what is wrong with her? I was like, she's a teenager. <laughs> <laughs> that is funny. Yeah. Uh, Lindley with that age gap, did you like start to recognize like, oh, my sister is acting different? I did. And I was like, I would always be like, I would never act that way to y'all. I would like, I'll always think you're funny, dad. I'll always be nice to you, mom. But now, <laughs> now that I'm is not, not funny the anymore case. to Lindley, but now Alyssa's <laughs> old enough that I'm funny to her. Again. <laughs> so it's kind of worked out all right that they're so far yeah, apart. My, my at sister, least one person thinks you're funny at a time. Yeah. Yeah. My sister, I was younger. My sister did not think my dad was funny at all. And I was like, this doesn't make any sense. Like he's the funniest he's person hilarious. on earth. And now I'm at that age where I'm like, okay, yeah, you just aren't funny. <laughs> Did you feel like, so you saw that she was kind of treating your parents differently. Did she start to treat you differently too? Well, she's always, cause, cause we are so far apart. She's always just been like the boss of me, I guess. Um, sometimes it would, she definitely still gets a little bit bossy over me and I'm like, okay, I'm not six anymore, but yeah, I could definitely see her treating me differently. Yeah. Did you feel this is something that I don't know when I look back at my time as a teenager, I definitely know that there was a time my mom and I like we just started butting heads on everything and everything that she did was embarrassing. Everything that she did, I rolled my eyes like I didn't want to be seen with her in public. I wanted her to walk 10 feet behind me or 10 feet in front of me, like all that stuff that started to happen for me around like 12, 13. Did you experience, like, did you recognize when your behavior was starting to shift as you were becoming a teenager? Yes. I don't, I wouldn't say I get embarrassed of my parents at all, actually, but I can definitely tell whenever I do start to have an attitude or Stuff like that. Well, that's because you don't have embarrassing parents like I do. (laughs) (laughs) Not unless they're doing karaoke. (laughs) No, but what what changes did you feel? It was just, I mean, like I said earlier, like it was a lot just forming my own opinions and then realizing like sometimes whenever I was trying to share my opinion, it could definitely come out with the wrong tone of voice. um, And it definitely does come off Mm. rude sometimes. Yeah. Do you notice that when it's happening or is it just like, man, I wish I hadn't said it that way, but like you just can't stop it. My parents pointed out and actually I will say stuff. And then right afterwards, I'm like, dang it. I really wish I didn't say it using that tone of voice. And my mom's like, she points it out. And I'm like, I know, I'm sorry. 
Yeah, I still do that. I'm like, oh, I'll say something and I'll realize at 34 years old, oh, that was a bit of an attitude. And I'm like, sorry, I yes. did not mean that that way. Let me try again. So I don't think that that teenage attitude always goes away. Some of us hold on to it a little bit longer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about some of the big challenges. What are some of the biggest challenges that you've faced parenting teenagers? And then, you know, Lindley, I'll come back to you uh, after they answer, because I want to hear some of the challenges from like kids perspective, like dealing with your parents as well. The big thing for me is just obviously social media. Um, you know, you didn't have social media probably when you were a teenager, Alyssa. So MySpace. Yeah, MySpace. Oh, Friendster. wow. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was like too old to have MySpace. So the first thing I ever had was really like Facebook. But that's probably the biggest challenge is setting those boundaries. Even just a cell phone is setting the boundaries of when do they get that. And because you know, I, I knew at least what the repercussions were going to be immediately because when they even when they just have an iPad, their face is in the iPad. And then when they get the cell phone, now they're texting and doing things like that. And, you know, honestly, we were uh, honest fibbers. And we told her when she got her first phone, like she could only text three people, even though that wasn't true. And then I think she soon figured that out, like, whatever. <laughs> I know that's not true. Um, but it's been just the cell phone, social media, things like that, and putting those restrictions on her that her friends did not have yeah, and setting those boundaries and determining. And, and we learned from Alyssa and the mistakes that we made with some of the things that we allowed her to have. Unfortunately, because of that, because of what we saw Alyssa go through with social media and bullying online, mm -hmm. then she wasn't able to have some of that stuff, especially in middle school. Middle school girls are the worst. Mm -hmm. They, they can yeah. be so mean. Um, boys, you know, boys will fight and then they'll be best friends the next day. Um, I've probably gotten fistfights with mo most of my friends growing up, but we were always right fine after that playing baseball again. Yeah. You know, and girls, though, they, they handle it a different way. It was very different um, having to deal with the the mean girl aspect of middle school with teenagers yeah i had some when i was i was real world bullied like back in back in the day uh you did that face-to-face -face bullying and i can't imagine like having the cyber bullying to deal with as yeah, well and there was yeah. a little bit because you know, when I was in high school, we had AOL Instant Messenger and yeah. all of that where it was like you were chatting for the first time and it was the first experience of like actual privacy from your parents. Yeah. Because I will say like, even though we had internet, YouTube, MySpace, all of that stuff, we still had a dial-up connection. And so you couldn't use the phone while someone was on the computer. So everybody knew when you were on the computer, there was no like having a screen to yourself that you could take back to your room. Like right. you were on the computer in the family room. Everybody could see what you were doing. Yeah. And AIM was the first experience of like, oh, I can chat with people and my parents have no idea what I'm saying or what I'm doing. Turns out it was just a lot of bullying. Right, but yeah, yeah it, it really is. I think that that, man, that's a challenge that I would have no idea how to handle and how to um, set those boundaries because it's also like you don't, there's new stuff popping up every single day yeah. that you don't know 
we're all learning this stuff for the first time. We have no idea. Yeah. I would, I would say to parents, you have to be involved. You have to friend your kids on their social media accounts, follow the people they're following so you can see what's going on. And it's okay to ask for their cell phone because pretty sure the kids aren't paying for it. So it's, it's really yours. I know they have, a, you know, oh, it's mine. I want my privacy, but it's really not. And it's okay to say, I want to see what's going on on this. Pull it up. Show me your text. Show, mm-hmm. you know. Whatever the apps are. I mean, we have access to, I mean, I still have access to Alyssa's phone and she's 21 years old. I don't check it, Alyssa. But, you know, <laughs> I, you know, again, we're still paying for her phone. And so to have that access and for us to be able to utilize it whenever we want to. So that's probably the the biggest thing for me with both girls was just that cell phone, social media, and us st- uh, having boundaries when, you know, when Lindley was in elementary school, third and fourth graders were having Instagram accounts and, and the finest iPhones. And I'm like, here's your slide phone. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know? really the only reason she got a, a cell phone as young as she did is because we st- we didn't have a landline anymore. Yeah. So that's the only reason we got her a cell phone as early as we did because we felt she needed it if she was at home and needed to get in touch with us. And, you know, in fifth grade, we might leave her home for, you know, 20, 30 yeah. minutes. And she needed to get in touch with us. She needed a phone. That's been the, the for, for us, I would say that, you know, has been the biggest struggle. And then her not understanding or even Alyssa at the time, why can't I have this? I'm missing out on, so, I mean, you feel like you're missing out socially mm-hmm. because people are no longer texting. They're having group chats on Instagram or Snapchat or whatever it is. And, um, you know, understanding that also. And also now at school, they have Facebook pages and Instagram pages mm-hmm. for organizations that you're in and they communicate only this way and X, Y, and Z. So, you know, Kudos to all the parents who are still holding out, telling their kids they can't have social media because it's probably one of the you know dangerous things across the board in every aspect. I know, but so. there is like this line between I want to set boundaries and I want to make sure you're learning how to consume this in a healthy way. But I also don't want to cut you off socially from your peers, right. like you mentioned, yeah. because I mean, when I was in middle school and high school, we had cell phones, but they didn't have any capabilities. It was like we were using T9 texting. It took forever to send a text message. No internet, no anything. Like if you didn't have a cell phone, you weren't really missing out. Right. And you were finding other ways to like connect with people and to, you know, meet up and figure out plans and, and all this stuff. Passing notes was still a big thing, you <laughs> yeah, know, all yeah. that. And I just feel like now if it, if you're kid doesn't have a cell phone yeah it's good for their mental health in a lot of ways but also bad for them connecting with friends and yeah. building you know a social circle yeah well, I it's think just how they socialize now it uh, is. it's just like you know back when we were kids we went out and we went home and the light was went off or whatever that's just just how these kids socialize now. Yeah. So it's y'all are just like feral kids out in the streets like <laughs> yeah. just talking to whoever. And it's one thing that I love about <laughs> Our youth program is that when they go on activities, mission trips, tours, things like that, that they're supposed to leave their, you know, cellular devices and iPads and things like that at home because it does disconnect them from 
everything that's distracting them mm. on their phones and helps them focus on the purpose of, you know, what they're, they're doing the mission or just singing at the nursing home and focusing on their Bible studies and not, Oh, I'm looking at the Bible on my phone, you know, <laughs> things like that during church, you know, when you see kids, Oh, I was looking at my Bible on the phone. Oh, okay. Um, so, you know, but I do they probably appreciate were that. looking at the Treach app because it's just so good. <laughs> it, it is right? so good. <laughs> totally. Absolutely. To, to also, you can t- like take some time as a family, like what she was talking about at church where we, we put the phones away do some plan some family activities where you put the phones down and just do something together outside or you know even play a game or whatever you're going to do even watch a movie on TV together as a family or something that it gets everybody in a community setting and not just in their own screen mm-hmm. right so and at dinner time at lunchtime when, whenever you're spending time together just maybe put the phones down and and have some activities together as a family. Yeah. And I actually think, you know, all of the things that you're mentioning, I think that this episode is going to be most helpful for parents who have maybe an eight-year-old, nine-year-old, 10-year-old, they're right on the cusp. They're heading into those teenage years and to hear, hey, set these boundaries in advance. Like when you give them their first phone, tell them, this is not your phone. This is my phone that I'm letting you use and I can take it and look at it at any time. And if you're taking this phone, you're agreeing to that, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, Because... Matt, one of the things that you mentioned as we were, you know, getting ready for this episode is you can't set boundaries later. At 16 and 17, if you're just now starting to set boundaries, it's too late. Yeah. You've got to start those when they're, when they're young and, and have consequences and follow through with those consequences and be consistent and be a team as parents. The, the, The worst thing you can do is one parent say, oh, it's all right. You can, you can have your phone back. Yeah. We, we always tried to do that run around on, we would ask mom something and then we'd sneak around and ask dad and he'd always say, what did your mom say? <laughs> She's ultimately the boss. Yeah. We all know that. So, so Lindley, I, I want to hear what are the struggles that you feel like you're dealing with as a teenager today? And if you, not that you can represent like all people in your generation, cause that's impossible, but for the people who are listening to this episode, like what do you wish people knew about the teenage experience today? Um, it is a lot different from whenever like your parents were teenagers, just because of social media and stuff like that. And for me, like, I think it is, Like, I had to wait until I got social media. I wasn't allowed to get Instagram in third grade like some of the people I knew were. But it's just, like, building that social aspect is, like, you build it sometimes over your phone. Like, you don't build your social group in person a lot anymore. And that is how you stay connected is over your cell phone. It is also, for me, like dealing with social media and the people over social media I think I do a good job about like if I see that I'm left out oh well like I leave people out sometimes I just let it roll off my shoulders and I feel like I do a really good job about that like they don't want to hang out with me this one night like that's okay Mm. um and so I think it's it just really depends on the teenager and how well they're able to handle their emotions and how well they can let things not get to them because that's a really really big part about being a teenager is like you can't let things get to you 
And I've had to learn the hard way. Not everyone's going to like you. I'm a very big people pleaser, but not everyone's going to like you. And that's just the way that it is. Yeah, I feel like that's something that you're learning very young Mm -hmm. (laughs) compared to the rest of us who maybe it maybe there are a lot of people pleasers still out there in their 30s, 40s, 50s who are struggling with, you know, not everybody's going to like me. But for you to to have that realization and be like, you know what? It's okay. Someone's not going to react well to something that I said. Yeah. And I, I talk to her a lot about even as an adult, especially a female, like, you know, I don't know how Matt and Steve feel, but if y'all see pictures of your buddies or friends or whatever doing stuff and you're not included, but even as an adult female, sometimes I'm like, oh, I wasn't invited to that. And so she and I have had a lot of conversations about figuring out ways to let that roll off your shoulders because it happens even into your adulthood. And sometimes when you say no, you're not invited the next time. And, you know, and then you see everyone on social media and you're like, oh, I wasn't included in that. So I do think Lindley has a pretty good head on her shoulders when it comes to balancing that social media because she also knows that if she came to us and said and she was in tears like our older daughter was we'd just take it right off her phone it just wouldn't be an option anymore mm-hmm. and uh so and that's what we had to do with Alyssa because there was a lot of cyberbullying going on mm-hmm. when she first got her stuff and so well and I know you can never make teenagers understand this but we tried we tried to explain it to Alyssa I think she understands it now that she's 21 that these friends that you think are so much important in your life in seventh, eighth, ninth grade, you're not even going to really know them when you're 21. Like I can tell you that she probably talks to two or three people from high school still mm-hmm. on, on a regular basis. And that's it. That you, you just don't. Everybody goes and moves. So you think these relationships are so important and it's just the end of the world because you didn't get included in something. And it's in the grand scheme of things, it's really like, such a small part of small part of your life. You've got so many bigger and better relationships that are going to be mature that you have in your mm-hmm. college years and post college years with people that really do make you a better person and mean mean more to you. Yeah. Well, and my my best friends I didn't meet until I was thirty. Yeah. So and they have become like family to me, and we're in it like for the rest of our lives. We're planning our retirement together, you know <laughs> that sort of thing. But uh, it did feel it was hard, like as uh, a high schooler and then college and then your twenties when you're trying to get your footing in your career. It, it's really hard to make those close friendships because you're just like constantly moving and constantly. And so I, I just think that. Um, for you to have that attitude of like, okay, it's, it's okay. If not everybody gets it, it's okay. If, um, you know, not everybody loves me and likes everything that I post and wants to share it and thinks I'm the funniest person on the planet or whatever, like all of that Mm -hmm. is fine. And for you to see the value in yourself and who you are as a person, like that's really that's really good, Lindley. Thank you. I'm glad you're doing that. Is there, <laughs> is there anything outside of social media? Is there anything else that you think is different for teenagers today that you wish people understood? Just school. Like school is a lot different. And yeah, we all go to school to learn. But like the relationships at school and like just friendships at school, all of those things. And 
also school is you, like school is a lot of pressure on you mm-hmm. and it's a lot of pressure to make sure that like you get put into all of the right classes and that you choose all the right things because even in like sixth grade they're like okay you need to start thinking about what you want to do in college and you're like oh I have to start thinking about this right now and I have like, to I'm like 11 yes no, <laughs> literally um and so like we started doing all these things so I was like I have to know what I want to do in college right now but it's you don't yeah like, like, let me tell you, you that right you now really you don't, don't have, have to, to know <laughs> that is all just nonsense that they're throwing at you I yes. don't know why we do that like why <laughs> do we do that to y'all because you're right that pressure I think that that pressure which was just starting to happen when I was in middle school and high school of like hey if you're not on the AP track you're not you know getting into college you're not yeah. doing this you're not doing that and college is the only way like it is if you you want to make money and if you want to be able to survive college is the answer and so then we could get into this conversation about taking out student loans and getting in and of course I graduated when the economy crashed and like oh my gosh layers and layers and layers but I think that that's when that started to build up but like for elder millennials and generations beyond that I don't think there was that same pressure no. in school that there is for kids now. And, and it seems like a lot. Well, I, I think like our, my parents, especially they, not everybody was expected to go to college. A lot of, a lot of people didn't. Then my generation, that's when it was like, everybody needs to go to college. Yeah. And then it was, everybody needs an MBA. Um, but I will say, I'm, I'm going to tout LISD right now. They give the kids a lot of opportunities to do things that don't want to go to college in the mm-hmm. LISD school district. They, uh, you, can, you can take classes on being a firefighter, mm-hmm. a, a nurse. There's, oh, yeah, a, mechanic. A mechanic. Yeah. There's so many things that you can do in high school now that prepare you if you don't want to go to college. I, I will say also, too, I feel like my kids were much better prepared to go to college mm. than I was because of LISD mm-hmm. also. Um, but, yeah, there, I think there are... There are some kids that are, are looking at that now and saying, hey, I know college isn't right for me. What are some of the other things that we can do at the learning center? And mm-hmm. there's tons of stuff for them to do now. Also, it's just like creating a balance between like social and school, because I know kids like they can't ever hang out because yep. their parents are like, no school, like you need to do your homework, you need to study. And then you have to do all of these extracurriculars yes. that yep. look good right. on a resume. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And so for parents like just find that balance between letting your kid be a kid and then which I think my parents do a great job of like they give me so much opportunities to go hang out with my friends and build close relationships with people and also make sure that I do good in school and get good grades Mm. Steve I want to hear from you from like the youth director position on thing as like what are some of the so the big challenges that you regularly hear from parents? Because I imagine a lot of parents come to you looking for advice, looking for help. I, I would say I think uh, uh, Christina said it earlier. It was like every every other parent has different boundaries, and I think that's I think navigating, understand, just like understand what boundaries you want, and don't compare yourself to what other parents. And their boundaries are not wrong and yours are not absolutely right or absolutely wrong. It's just, it's just your boundaries. And it, I understand that gets difficult. 
because that I think is brings up the most tension in a lot of families is because Lindley's boundaries are different than uh, her friend's boundaries, yes. and that's where a lot of the tension comes in. And um, do you have a lot of parents who are like, I don't want him to hang out with this kid anymore because he's a bad influence? I do you know? get that, and then yeah. I, I get I get uh, a lot of youth airing their frustrations of like, I can't do this, but my friend gets to do this, and I think it's also our expectations of our kids. I think it's great to have expectations, but don't don't pin that uh, on them and that pressure of like, this is what I expect from you and this is what I want from you and be okay if they become their own person and not what you have dreamed of them to be and because they may go in a totally different direction. And I think a lot of parents struggle with that when um, you thought your girl was going to be this uh, great actor and then they become this great softball player and your parents right. kind of grieve of like, that's not what I was hoping my kid would become. And I think parents go through a grieving process mm-hmm. of, and I want my kid to do this and they're not doing what I want, even though they're still thriving and what they're wanting to do. And I yeah. think there's a struggle of grief of like, this is what my, I thought my kid would do. And now they're not. And mm-hmm. so just don't have expectations, but don't, disappointed don't be disappointed (laughs) when it doesn't and don't put added pressure because like lindley just said school has immense pressure on uh on them and i've seen it with parents who put even more pressure of like you've got to do this and this and this and this and this and just i've seen kids burn out uh i've had kids come to me and just say can you help me tell my parents i want to quit this and quit this and quit this and i think parents have a good idea i think they have good intentions with what they're doing, but I think sometimes they're adding more pressure. Because mm-hmm. uh, Lindley said it, I think school is different from when we were teenagers. It's just different. And so I think just don't put more pressure on your kids if you don't have to. And I think Christine and uh, Matt are great examples of of that. Because Lindley said it from the beginning, she still wants to be a teenager. Yeah. Well, and I think that part of it and what I see in Lindley is – um, learning how to make your own choices, like letting your yep. teenager learn how to make their own decisions, how to make their own way. And um, high school is the place to fail. Yes. That, this is the time to let your kids, this is the time Try to place things. to let them fail. It's okay to quit things too. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. that doesn't make you a quitter. If yeah. there's something that you're not enjoying. Now there's a difference between I signed up for this a week ago and now yeah. I don't want to do it anymore. <laughs> Follow through on your commitment. Right. But if you've been a dancer for four years and you decide this isn't bringing me joy anymore, you yeah. can quit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, I agree with that. All, all we've, I, I think that what we've asked of our, our two girls is just try your hardest we don't expect you to be the best. We don't expect you to be valedictorian. We don't expect you to make straight A's if that's not your the best you can do. Just do the best that you can do, right? So we didn't we've never set like you have to make this grade point average. Just do the best. Mm. Do your best. And if you make a decision that you didn't try hard enough, there'll be con- there, the consequences are you didn't make a grade that you thought you should make, right? There's no. there's consequences in those decisions, but it's better to make those decisions now like steve said when they're teenagers in more of a safe space yeah so, when they're under your roof you yeah. know yeah when, so do you let your uh girls tell you when they're trying hard enough or do you decide i don't think you're trying hard enough i'll ask them if we've we've asked lindley when she came home with a, a grade that was subpar 
was that the best you can do? Is that truly the best? Did you really try your hardest, study the most, or did did you maybe slack off a little? What was yeah. your answer? I did try my hardest. And, and what did we say? You were like, okay, then just like go talk to your teacher. If you can get your grade up, then that's great. If you can't, then just like come ask us for help next time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, really just try your hardest because, you know, if if I did get a bad grade on something and then I know that I didn't study and I, instead of if I told my parents, yeah, I'm going to study and then I sat upstairs on in my room on my phone like that was not trying my hardest. And that's the reason that I got a bad grade because I didn't try and I didn't study. Mm. It sounds like y'all have built a lot of trust with each other. Cause I know yeah. that I don't, I think there are a lot of parents who wouldn't trust their kid to give an honest answer of, well, of course you're going to tell me you tried your hardest. You don't want to get in trouble, you know, but it sounds like y'all have open communication. How did that start? Has that just been since birth? We've been building this thing. Yeah. That's yeah. For forever. You have to do that when they're, when they're before they can talk, you talk to them and have conversations with them and, and start building that trust up yep. and setting those boundaries, setting expectations, but also knowing that there are consequences. And I think kids, I think kids want boundaries to a certain degree too, right? They do. It shows you care for them. It shows you care for them. If you don't give them any boundaries, then they think, well, they don't even care enough to tell me I have to be home at 10 o'clock at night. You know? Yes. I've heard, I've heard so many testimonies of kids who have have pretty much said that like they didn't even care. They didn't care when I come home and uh, versus like, um, I have to be home at eight or I have to be home at nine, but I think they know that that's because they care for them mm-hmm. and exactly right. Is boundary kids thrive in boundaries. Um, uh, I think it's, I think that's sometimes I think we make the mistake. We want to be friends with our teenagers. Um, uh, but you have to set boundaries and, and teenagers thrive in boundaries versus not in, in, in in boundaries so it, it's hard I, I get it sometimes it's hard because sometimes setting boundaries is actually sometimes a punishment on the parents as well yes um yeah because uh, then that cuts into your time yeah. and your schedule and no. then you have to be more involved maybe than you wanted to yeah. be and i think as parents we need to be as honest as we can be with our kids i understand there's things that we don't want to dump on them or we don't want it but i think if you're you have more like they have built some trust and that comes with being honest with your kids having having deep conversations and having honest conversations about how you're feeling, what's going on in your life. Now, obviously there's some things you need, you don't want to emotionally dump things on them that they don't need, can't handle. But I think being honest with them with things in their, in their life, in your life, I think goes a long ways with building that relationship. Cause you want to have a relationship with your teenager. You don't want to be a dictator that just has no relationship with that kid. Yeah. Uh, because when they become an adult, they're never going to have a relationship with you. And so that's when you can become friends. Exactly like my mom friend. and I are such yes. good friends now. And yeah. our my teenage years, you would have never thought that yeah. we would come back around. But now here we are. My mom, my sister, and I all work at the same building yeah. together yeah. every single day. And we're so tight with each other. Yeah. And I it can happen. It like can your happen. kid will come back. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And that's why I say to parents who are struggling with teenagers right now, or if you're if you're trying to have a relationship and it's it's struggling right now, when they become young adults, they're probably going to be some great friends with you. And I mean, I know it takes some time, it takes patience, but just keep building that bridge, keep building that relationship, keep being honest, keep uh, you know, keep them in your life. Um, I know there's some teenagers where 
they're running away from home or they're just really struggling with being at home and their tension's high. Um, but just keep that relationship going because it's going to, I've seen it a billion times of where there's a bad relationship with the teenager in the home and they become like these best friends um, when they become young adults because of that relationship kept building mm-hmm. and the parents weren't shoving them out the door. Um, now I'm, there's boundaries, but. Well, the other thing we've told our girls is that we may not love all the things that you do. We may not like some of the things that you do. We may dislike immensely some of the things you do, but we'll never stop loving you. There's nothing you can do that's going to make me stop loving you. And so please come talk to us. Whatever it is, come talk to us because I will love you unconditionally. Communication is like a huge part of our marriage foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, and having that with our kids. And it's one of the things that we say to couples that are engaged or newly married, just always communicate. It's so this started long before you thought about having kids. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Like, you know, when we would go to all of our friends' weddings and it'd like, what's your marriage advice? And like, I always wrote, always communicate. I won't tell you what Matt used to write, but (laughs) I used to, I always wrote, just keep that line of communication open. And I think that, um, because of that, then our girls have, they know that they can come to us for anything. So I think it also becomes uh, that whole idea of that mentality of like, that will never be, that'll never happen to my kid or that'll, I think we, we, we hope for that, but no, never getting that mentality. Oh, that's never going to happen. Cause it, when it does happen and it, it, and it hits you in your life, you're, you're not going to respond well to it. Yeah. So yeah. don't, don't think that whatever bad situation is going to never going to happen to your kid because uh, I've had, you probably have read so many stories of these straight A students, perfect kids, all of a sudden one thing. And well, and that was- that's the thing is like, we, we haven't even begun to address, and this would have to be a whole different series of episodes, but like teenagers struggle with addiction, just yeah. like adults. They struggle with anxiety and depression, just like adults. There's, there's so much weight happening. And there are parents that like, they really are just throwing up their hands and saying, I don't know what to do anymore. Like we've tried everything. We've kept the lines of communication mm-hmm. open, like all of these things. And then when it comes to mental illness or addiction or something that is just beyond your control, like it's, it's very easy to become overwhelmed and not wrong to become overwhelmed. Well, and you have to, as parents understand that, that you may have not done anything wrong. You probably didn't. Sometimes the kids, the decisions they make, they're going to make no matter how you raise them no matter what boundaries you set. I know there were decisions I made as a teenager and young adult. It didn't matter what my parents would have done. I, would have, I wouldn't have made those decisions no matter what, and I just had to learn that on my own. Yeah. Right? And sometimes... So there's not like this magic bullet no, of parenting. No, it's not. just love, 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 <laughs> And pray, love. pray, 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 yeah. pray, pray. Yeah. My parents always told me growing up, like, you can tell us anything. You can come talk to us about anything. You, we want you to tell us. Come, we want you to tell us everything. And so, I mean, I tell both my parents, especially my mom, every single detail about my life. Like, yeah. I tell them so much. And sometimes, people are don't. you ever like, no, that's too much? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> Her friends are probably all freaking out if they're going to listen to this podcast. But yeah. you know, <laughs> oh no, she knows too much. Yeah, <laughs> people, people tell me stuff sometimes. It's like you don't realize that I 
like my mom is like my best friend. <laughs> like I tell my mom a lot of stuff. <laughs> so how do you think that your faith has played a part in how you parent teenagers? I we already mentioned love, 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 pray, pray, pray. <laughs> like that's yeah. And but, f- and for us it was um finding a church home. Twenty two years ago we joined Treach before before actually we uh, actually joined when I was pregnant with Alyssa. Um started coming before then and was reined in to the nine thirty contemporary, no pun intended, rain band. Reined in by the rain band. And uh and found our church home and stay has we have stayed committed to our church home and loyal to our church home um and i think because of that we have built a family of friends older and younger um that have uplifted and supported our kids and everything they do mm-hmm. so and that's um and they're there to help hold accountable it, it, yeah it, it takes a village right and when you have a group of faith-based friends that are there that are always watching out, helping watch out for your kids, that, that does help. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, uh, I'll tell a little story. Lindley went today on a, I don't, it wasn't a date, but she went with a young man that to, to a movie and to hang out. And I reached out to a current church member um, who is a teacher at this young man's school. And I said, please give me your opinion. Mm -hmm. And she did. And she said, he's a great young man and gave me all the details. And so that is the village, right? That you're sharing this right now. (laughs) I've told her this story already. So I said, I reached out to Miss Laura and I, and she said that He's a good young man. So that is part of the village, right? And yeah. and Laura is much younger than I am, but she's a teacher. And, you know, you have all these, all, when, you, when you're at a place and in a community where you've been for a while, um, you know, you, so that faith, that faith base here at Treach, you know, I mean, I have the, from Jim Early to Jackie Watkins to the mayors to your, to Denise to, I mean, everyone, Steve, countless people that have, uplifted and helped raise our kids. Yeah. Well, and I think about my time as a teenager in this church, I think that that was one of the things, even though maybe I was a little bit of an airhead when it comes to scripture and all that stuff I was supposed to be learning. One of the things that is so valuable about being a part of a church community as a young person is building relationships with adults outside of your parents. Um, because for me, it was, uh, Jan Deering, David Taylor, like, well, y'all were youth volunteers when I was in the youth group. Well, one of the first memories I have of you is when we were in a musical together. Oh, that's right. Godspell. Godspell yeah. Oh man. Oh man. I completely forgot about Godspell. And so to be able, so it, it's a, it's a few things, right? It's, to have that village of people so that my parents had some support looking at from their perspective. But then from my perspective, I learned how to be in communication with adults. And so when I was going off to college and off into the workforce, I didn't find it intimidating to have conversations and relationships with people who were older than me. And I think that that is from being raised in a church environment where you're constantly having people of all ages basically acting as 
as second parents too. Like I call David Taylor, my second dad all the time. Um, because he was so involved. I think that he grilled the guys I dated more than my own dad did, you know? <laughs> and so it really is this extended family of support that is an extension of your faith because it's all this community of Christ and this unconditional love that emanates from this community and just continues on for generations. Yeah. And I, you know, I mentioned books earlier. And so, you know, we've read books. I know uh, I'll let Matt kind of finish this, but someone gave him a book. Um, I think it was Robbie Sutton, the strong, strong father, strong daughters. I'd highly recommend that to any father with a daughter. It talks about setting boundaries. It talks about a lot of issues that girls go through that dads don't even understand, like eating disorders mm-hmm. and, and sexual image issues, and, yeah. body image and things like that. Um, so it's, it's a great book. I would, I would recommend that for any father that, that has a daughter, strong father, strong daughters. Yeah, and then I'll just go back and say, and pray. Yeah. <laughs> well, I feel like we've been talking about teenage girls this whole time. I don't know anything about teenage boys. Like it's just me and my sister. Like, what do we need to look out for, for these teenage boys? Like, what are they dealing with? I think they, they deal with, uh, showing, showing emotions, um, appropriately and, or just sharing their emotions. I think that's the biggest struggle with teenage boys. Um, uh, I think that's what we felt as a culture felt as, uh, uh, maybe even as a church sometimes. Um, but I think that's probably the biggest challenge for boys is just letting them um, know it's okay to share their emotions, let them know they have emotions and that there's appropriate ways to, to share them. Cause there's I think, more than one emotion. Yeah. yeah. There's one more than one emotion. And yeah. I think, um, I, I think, uh, I think if we can learn how to teach boys on how to uh, share their emotions, I think we can, we can help them a lot. But I'll like say, that. Steve, that you're doing a great job with our youth program and really in providing uh, comfortable environments for all the kids to express and learn about themselves. Yeah. So thank hey, you. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. We have some great volunteers that do that. <laughs> well, so, Steve, I, I would love to hear from, like, the spiritual development side of things. Like, what are some key indicators in our teenagers that we need to be looking towards of, like, signs of spiritual growth and development that, because like you said, it it is sometimes harder to see. It's slower or you don't realize, you feel like they're not learning anything and they actually are learning a lot. You're setting those foundations. What are some spiritual markers that you keep in mind for our teenagers in the youth program? I, for me, it's when they, when they volunteer that they want to do something, um, either lead worship or lead a, a, a devotion or lead a, uh, or sometimes lead something in big, in big church worship. Um, it's like, Hey, I, I feel like I want to do this or, um, my mark is when a teenager comes to me, hey, do you recommend um, a Bible study or do you recommend um, when they kind of like Lindley was saying, when she kind of wants to seek out uh, something on her own time or individually, um, uh, that's my mark is when they're asking questions. Um, that's the first mark is just asking questions. Uh, if they're just like, hey, what's this about? Why is this? Um, that's the first indicator. It's like, okay, they're, they're wanting to know versus just wanting to show up and eat pizza and have fun. Um, asking questions, volunteering to want to lead something. Um, and just, I think that that's my favorite part. Um, and I'm going to try to hopefully do that better throughout the years of just letting the youth lead, um, in, in worship and, and 
messages and devotions and giving that that space uh, of uh, experimenting with their faith, uh, trying things out, um, trying speaking and, and speaking what they think the Bible means to them and what Jesus means to them, uh, giving that that's safe space because uh, maybe they'll say something completely wrong. Uh, or maybe they'll say something completely right and not ridicule them for, the, for them when they're wrong or when they're right. Just support them either way. Mm-hmm. What What are some of the things that you think parents can do to nurture that spiritual development? Go alongside them. Kind of like what they were saying. They sometimes do something together. Maybe do a Bible study together. Yeah. Um, do a devotional together. Um, Yeah, because I know we do have a lot of like drop off mentality of like, I want my kids to grow up in the church and to receive these foundations, but I'm going to go get Sonic while you're doing your church thing, you know, and I'm not trying to drag parents. Obviously, I'm not a parent. It is like I watch my sister do it and I'm like, that is too much. (laughs) You are doing too much. Like, so I understand like wanting the break. Yeah, but. But I've, I've seen it several times where teenagers have actually got their parents involved in faith mm-hmm. and not the other way around. It was the, it was the teenager seeking out faith. Uh, maybe their parents never gone to church and they're the only ones coming to church. And then I've testimony after testimony. I was like, uh, a parent's like, I didn't go to church. I didn't, I didn't really believe in this faith until my teenager. So um, I think understanding that teenagers can sometimes lead in the faith and not be like, oh, you guys need to sit down and be quiet. Um, Because sometimes these teenagers can lead their parents in in their faith and give them that space, giving them opportunity. Yeah, I say all the time that uh, my kids are way better than I was (laughs) when I was their age. And the fact that they have been given the tools starting at a young age in Sunday school classes, faith voyage, middle school, high school youth that that they've been equipped properly. Um, But you know, you do have to engage with that a little bit. And like you said, walk, walk with them through that journey. And, and, and um, it's so, it's so cool to do stuff with your kids at church. And I, I think back to mission trips I've been on with my kids, but even just like Alyssa and I singing uh, in front of the church for father's day mm-hmm. one time. And now she's, she's a regular at a church singing in, in their praise band. And it's so neat for me as a parent because we've gone on that journey together and see her grow. And now she's taking that and doing her own thing with it spiritually. And I'm sure Steve, it's gotta be so cool for you because you've been involved in so with so many youth over the years. And they're probably, some of them are probably youth ministers now themselves and involved. So how cool is that for you to, to see that? I, I think that's, uh, I think that's all, just the greatest thing to see um, uh, is just because I know a one I know of one girl for sure who's who's gone into ministry, um, and uh, and that's just awesome to see. I've also seen t- uh, kids come back to me after they graduate and just share how much uh, either me or the the church or the youth program was was uh, uh, instrumental in their life, um, and uh, that's that's my bonus is just. Uh, getting to hear those stories because um, so often in ministry you, you really don't get to know sometimes if because like again some teen, teenagers don't know how to share their emotions so sometimes mm-hmm. they don't tell you like I really appreciate you or I'm glad you're here or you know any t- to me or a teen the volunteers yeah so it's great to hear that um, and I love it that's my favorite part is seeing them or see them up on the stage uh, leading a prayer or leading a song yeah. um, and that's really just beautiful 
Yeah. When I look back on my time in youth, the adults that I connected with the most and the times that I felt most valued were the people that they did not give me answers. They asked me questions. They wanted to know what I thought, what I believed. And to Lindley's point earlier, you know, you're, you're at a point right now where you're like, I'm coming up with my own opinions. I'm forming my own faith. I'm asking my own questions. And the adults that were interested in hearing the way that I think and, and my ideas and willing to build on that and say, Ooh, that's really interesting. Like that made me feel loved and valued, even if I was completely off base, you know, (laughs) but there was no judgment there. And I think that if more of us could do that, instead of when someone asks us a question, we need to take the Jesus rabbi approach, respond to questions with (laughs) With questions. questions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Instead of saying, oh, here's the answer. According to the Bible, it says this, this is what you're supposed to believe. Like that, that's not where the nurturing and growth happens most of the time. Yeah. And it's okay to say, I don't know. Let's find out together. Yeah. What is some of the best advice that you've gotten from other parents of teens And what advice would you give? Honestly, this is really funny, but we were really close with the Jackman family. They no longer go to Treach. They moved to Colorado. (laughs) And she was really close friends with your mom. I used to babysit for them. (laughs) And so I can remember all the time talking to Angela and her being like, well, I talked to Denise and Denise said this because she's already gone through it with her girls. But like, I'm trying to like think of specifics, you know, that kind of went, went, went along with that. But it's just funny how you kind of reach out to me down advice. Yeah. 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 Um, I would, I, I'd have to think about the best advice that I've been given. I'm I'm actually not sure what that is. And it probably just kind of goes hands in, hand in hand with what I say. And it's, um, you know, going back, keeping that line of communication open, um, setting reasonable boundaries, allowing them to still be a kid and have fun. And, uh, you know, for us and our family, it's, you know, just keeping Christ at the center of, of, a, of a relationship also. So... Yeah, this is kind of a funny quote, but uh, this is one I've heard that you just have to remember is that, that God makes teenagers act like they do, so you're ready for them to leave mm. when, when, when they, they go get to college. college. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because it's sad, but it's not as sad because they've been a teenager. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's time to go. You've spread your wings here long enough. But, but yeah. if you've done the things to give them the, the foundation of what they need, and I mentioned this before, then, uh, then yeah, once they're once – they're, young adults after they're teenagers, after college, Mm -hmm. that relationship is, is awesome. Lindley, I want to, I want to hear from you on this too. I know you're not a parent, you don't have your own teenager, but I want to kind of flip it and, and say, what advice would you give to parents from the perspective of a teenager? Let them be kids. Like don't make them be adults and like still give them that sort of independence, but I think part of being a kid is also just like learning how to make your own decisions. So just let them kind of be free and have fun, but set those boundaries to where they don't go too far and make super bad decisions. Yeah. We don't want any like life changing (laughs) events happening. Um, Okay. So this is my last question today. I wanted us to end on a a fun high note. Um, What has been the most rewarding 
aspect of parenting and raising teenagers. And I know, Steve, you get to see it over and over again. So you have a whole career of mm. raising teenagers. Oh, yeah. What's the most rewarding part? Well, having one that's, uh, I can't cry. I'm going to stop myself. Having one that's 21 and just seeing her, just seeing her grow up and, and spread her we- we- wings and letting and learning, watching her learn who she is as a person. And same thing with Lindley, even though she's only 14, just watching her learn who she is and what she likes. And um, that's the best for me. I can't say it any better than that. (laughs) (laughs) I can say it without crying, but I can't say it. (laughs) No, I, I mean, it's for real. It's watching them develop into young adults and, um, and then, you know, realizing that they've had the foundation and that they're, they're ready for the world. Mm. Even, even in my business, it's what, what we say a lot. You can, you can come to my, as, cause I work with youth, you can come and you can do all the things but most importantly, we just want you to walk out of our doors and be a good human mm-hmm. and go make a difference in the world. That's really what our, I mean, we, we want them to be good at what they're doing um, because we do expect excellence, but we want them to just go be good people. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so it's the same thing with our own kids. I th- just seeing them thrive and what they enjoy. Like for Dylan, he got into skateboarding and just like, just seeing them just, just overjoyed when he gets a gets a trick, he, he accomplishes something, and just that that smile, that beam, and just seeing that uh, seeing that work, and I think you can see that in teenagers because of all the uh, what they've been working up to and seeing them accomplish mm-hmm. um, or succeeding in what they've been working at is just um, you know, and I get to see I get to see that with several teenagers of seeing them accomplish or succeed at something they've been wanting to do, um, and it's it's just it's just awesome. The smiles you can just the smile warms your heart when a teenager is just truly um, enjoying that moment. Um, I mean, that just it, it, that can make your bad day a beautiful day when you just see a teenager just when you just see them enjoying the moment, being uh, fully present, being fully present, yeah. and just being. I just love it when teenagers are being teenagers um, and just being uh, goofballs and just it's just the laughter and just the memories they're making. It just it's just very rewarding uh, seeing them uh, grow those relationships. And it's just, well, it's just and awesome. I think that we have this ridiculous notion that teenagers are lazy, <laughs> like, <laughs> and maybe it's because they like to sleep in yeah. or, but their brain needs it. Their yeah. brains are developing, you know, let them sleep in. Uh, but teenagers work so hard. Like when yes. they find that thing that like the skateboarding or for me and my sister, it was swimming or whatever it is that you decide is your thing, man, like they shine in that and they put everything that they have into it. And that is really fun to watch. Cause there aren't very many, unless you go on to become a professional at whatever your hobby is, whether it be the arts or athletics or, or whatever it is, 
there's not very many times in your life that you get to throw a hundred percent of yourself into something like that. And to get to see teenagers do that as like an outsider looking in, Mm -hmm. like I find that thrilling and I don't even work with youth, (laughs) but when I see it on like TikTok or YouTube, these kids that are just like really doing it, I'm like, Whoa, like you have more motivation at the age of 15 than I have ever had. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. That's Mm. true. All right, Lindley, what's the best part of being a teenager so Um, far? (laughs) The best part of being a teenager. I just love building relationships with new people. Like I love meeting new people and I love meeting new friends. It's, It's so fun to me. And I guess for some teenagers it can be hard, but my favorite part of being a teenager is just like, and right now it's just like, okay, if I go up and give someone a compliment, like I I don't really care. And so it's just having Mm -hmm. that social. There's an openness Mm -hmm. to the world, right? Of like, you can start a relationship with anyone. You can start a friendship with anyone. Oh man, hold on to that. Cause that (laughs) is a good feeling that sometimes doesn't carry on into adulthood, but we kind of become a little guarded as we get older and start to get hurt over time, but that won't happen to you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh, guys, this was so great. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your stories and your advice and your struggles. Like this has been uh, hopefully so helpful for the parents who listen to this podcast and are either venturing into parenting teenagers in the middle of it right now and just hanging on and thinking this too shall pass (laughs) or the people on the other end of it who are starting to see their kids coming back and getting to be friends again like this was a really uplifting conversation so thank you so much for for taking the time and i appreciate y'all The Life Plus God podcast is hosted, written, and produced by me, Alyssa Robinson, and sponsored by Treach Memorial United Methodist Church in Flower Mound, Texas. If you live in the Flower Mound area, I invite you to stop by and see if Treach could be your new church family. You can learn more about all of our programs and events at tmumc.org, and I hope to catch you next week for our next episode of the Life Plus God podcast.